you're listening to InsuranceRadio.com. We sit down for personal conversations with the top insurance and financial advisors, executives, and regulators. Listen in to learn more about their ideas and personal stories at InsuranceRadio.com. Our guest today is Senator Ben Nelson. Senator Nelson became the CEO of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners in 2013. He was selected for the post because of his unique combination of executive, legislative, and regulatory experience. He was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 2000, where he served for two terms as the Democratic Senator from Nebraska. In the Senate, he served on the Agriculture and the Armed Services Committees. He also served as Chairman of the Strategic Forces Subcommittee. Working with Republicans and Democrats, Senator Nelson forged agreements between the Bush administration and the Senate on tax cuts, Medicare reform, and Homeland Security. He co-founded a bipartisan job squad of senators that cut billions of spending from an economic recovery plan that ultimately became law. In the months following 9-11, Senator Nelson was instrumental in gaining passage of the Federal Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, which provided a backstop for catastrophic insurance losses resulting from acts of terrorism. Earlier in his career, Senator Nelson was governor of Nebraska. In 1994, he was the first Nebraska governor to be elected to a second term in two decades. His record of balancing Nebraska's budget as governor was an asset as he worked to reduce federal spending in a way that was effective and fair. Senator Nelson started his career in insurance law. He served as CEO of the Central National Insurance Group, as Chief of Staff and Executive Vice President of the NAIC, and as Director of the Nebraska Department of Insurance. He completed his bachelor's, master's, and law degrees from the University of Nebraska in 1970. Our conversation took place at the 2015 NAIC EREG conference in Kansas City in the lobby of the Crown Center Hotel. Our visit took place in a public place, so the sound capture is not as good as we would like for it to be. We ask for your understanding as we listen to the important message Senator Nelson has to share. Please welcome to our program, uh, Senator Ben Nelson. And uh, Ben, uh, Senator, I see you're from McCook, Nebraska, which is in uh, Willow County, Nebraska. How did your family choose to end up out in western Nebraska? Well, my family from both sides uh, were uh, Scots-Irish, and so they just sort of kept moving west from, from the east, uh, came to Nebraska, settled in Nebraska. Uh, my father uh, was born in a sod house uh, south of McCook. Uh, very close to the Kansas border, uh, but to, then many of them moved on to California during the 40s, uh, but uh, we just sort of settled there and, and have uh, three generations uh, of Nebraskans at least, and so consequently we've, uh, we've uh, made McCook our home, uh, although once I graduated from high school, went to the University of Nebraska, uh, I visited back and forth, and my family home is being turned into a museum. Uh, in in the community, across from uh, the Norris uh, Park in, in McCook. Neat, neat. Uh, when you were growing up, uh, what kind of jobs did you have? Did you work on the farm or in town? I generally worked in town. Uh, of course, I had uh, paper routes, usually about three at a time. Uh, the McCook Gazette, the Redwood uh, uh, County Reporter, and the, and the Denver Post. And I delivered those on weekends and during the week. And then I worked as a stock boy. Uh, for a, a five-a-dime store in, in the book. Uh, I learned the ropes uh, early on. Uh, my 
parents taught me that if I saved enough money and worked hard, uh, that I could get an education and that, that would fulfill the rest of my, uh, my future. Well, personally, they gave you awful good advice and awful good guidance. Yeah, what was your, uh, uh, did you ever have a dirty job that you really hated that you think, well, by gosh, when I grow up, I, I want to get an education so I don't have to do this? As a matter of fact, I did. When I was uh, about 13, I was uh, on the staff at, uh, at a Boy Scout camp at, in Wellfleet, Nebraska, which is between McCook and North Platte, Camp Oval Springs. And on the staff, since I was the youngest and, and it was my first experience on the staff, I served on it several more years. Uh, but I had the job of cleaning the latrines. Uh, that's about as dirty a job as I could think of yeah. uh, to, uh, to do. But, uh, but I decided that if I did it right and, and worked hard at it, that next year maybe I could do something more exciting like the rifle range or camp craft or scout craft or something that was more subsidy. Uh, but uh, uh, I learned an awful lot about cleanliness during that experience. Yeah, you betcha. Well... Uh, it's uh, obviously it paid uh, that little experience paid off. And uh, what led to your becoming appointed uh, the director of uh, insurance in Nebraska? Well, because I started uh, early on with the Nebraska Insurance Department, which actually it'll be 50 years ago uh, on October the 1st in 1965. I started with the Nebraska Department. I got uh, through the uh, uh, through the if you will the chairs of uh, various different uh, positions within the, the company, uh, and then. Then Governor James uh, Exon appointed me insurance director. I knew him, uh, worked with him uh, in his campaigns, and he asked me if I would be insurance director, and I, I jumped at the chance and I've never looked back and uh, had any second guessing about it. Yeah. Well, as, as director, what were some of the issues that you faced uh, early on when you uh, took the office? Well, he brought me on for two particular reasons. One, we had a life insurance company uh, that had uh, solvency issues, uh, and so I, so my goal was to make sure that no policyholders lost any money, and that if we could do it without engaging the guarantee fund, so much the better. Uh, so I worked very hard to find a way to, if you will, clean up the assets, uh, figure out the liabilities, and find a company to come in and make an acquisition and make everybody whole, which we did. Uh, the second issue was at that point in time in in uh, 1975 and 1976, we were having problems with medical malpractice insurance availability and with rates. Uh, the market disappeared. The, uh, the, rate, the rates uh, were exceedingly high, uh, and uh, so my goal was to find a way to uh, moderate the rates, to get a market in return. Uh, we got through the legislation, uh, legislation through the Nebraska Unicameral. Uh, that put caps on recovery uh, and, and stabilized the insurance market that uh, continues to be stable today. Yeah. Did, uh, do commissioners uh, face some of the same issues today that they that you faced back then when you were starting? There are, this, there are many of the same issues. Uh, obviously, there are a lot that are different today with the Affordable Care Act uh, as an example. Uh, but uh, we've always faced pressure in Washington and from elsewhere uh, for uh, state based regulation to become a federal regulatory system under the federal government, uh, a national system, if you will, uh, run by the government. Uh, we've, uh, we've pushed back for all those 50 years that I've been involved, and uh, perhaps 50 years before that as well. But 
the truth of the matter is some of the issues are the same. But today we have international pressures following the 2008 financial crisis, uh, the, uh, the advent of Dodd-Frank, and a few other uh, issues such as the establishment of an international association of insurance supervisors and a financial stability board, uh, which have no particular uh, authority other than that they are uh, they're in a, uh, if you will, a position of power uh, by, by pushing for international standards. Uh, international standards are fine, but one-size-fits-all uh, approaches uh, really don't fit any. We're continuing to push back to, to maintain our own system and develop more best practices uh, to, to make our, our system continuously improving as, as we move through uh, the, the years today and, and the future. I see. It's, uh, now, you were also governor for a while in Nebraska. What uh, it was kind of a key lesson uh, uh, that you learned at the Department of Insurance that really helped you once you got into that office? Well, you know what I, what I did as a, as a cabinet member? I was able to tell my cabinet members that I'd, I'd sat in their seats uh, previously, and they knew that. I also spent a great deal of time on the budget uh, before uh, before taking office. Uh, the interim from after the election until uh, until inauguration, a great deal of time understanding the actual uh, details of the budget. So they also knew that I I had some uh, knowledge of their particular budgets, and maybe in some cases I might have known more. So I told them after a period of time that. Uh, because I'd sat in their seats, I had an idea of who was managing their agency and who was being managed by their agency. Uh, very often, bureaucracies are such that uh, uh, that the people uh, remain within the bureaucracy and, and they become bureaucrats. They burrow in uh, when there's a change in administration, then they come out, dust off their agendas, and say, here, let's try this. Uh, so I, I told them that that I expected them to manage the agency that they, they were in charge of, uh, that uh, we would work together, uh, that I didn't want to uh, uh, run into situations where they were being managed uh, by the bureaucracy. It sounded like you had a good insight into that. Uh, now, you had lost an election, too, didn't you, before did. you won the first uh, governor's seat? What did you learn from that? Well, I was uh, glad that I never lost as many as Abraham Lincoln lost before he got elected. But uh, you learn from, they tell you that you learn from your losses more than you learn from your wins. Well, if that's the case, I never wanted to get any smarter uh, <laughs> after that, uh, that loss. But I learned that sometimes uh, you should be, it was running midterm, and uh, very few people are elected to the Senate uh, from uh, being governor midterm. Uh, people want you to stay and finish your job. So I learned uh, what I what I should have known, what I learned as an Eagle Scout, I learned on so many other occasions, completion. Finish the job you have uh, before you, you see uh, something else. Yeah. Now you went off to and became a senator and moved to Washington to uh, uh, in 2000. Uh, is the, the Senate that you joined in 2000 different than the Senate that you retired from in 2012? It is, it is different. Uh, when I uh, arrived in 2001, there, there was collegiality, first of all. Uh, there was less uh, partisanship and more emphasis on trying to get things done on a bipartisan basis. Uh, I said when I, when I was running and when I was elected that I would work with the president, whoever the president was, uh, on, on issues. I would support the president when I could. I would oppose when I had to, but I'd always look for solutions and not obstruct. Uh, today, I think most people looking at Washington, and some people are happy with the obstructionism. 
Uh, they send people to Washington who promise to obstruct to make sure that things don't get done. And so consequently, uh, we have a Congress that is far more uh, partisan, uh, less capable of moving forward on essential issues, although there seems to be some movement this year. Uh, and when the people decide that, that they can send folks to Washington who will try to work together to find solutions, uh, then I think we'll, we'll go back to what it was uh, when I got there. Yeah. Now, at the NEIC, and you've assumed the helm uh, a couple years ago at the NEIC, um, are there still active forces pushing for the federalization of insurance and, and working behind the scenes and constant pressure on that? There are those, but the, there are a limited number, I think, today of people who are vocally pushing for federal regulation. Uh, the optional federal charter effort uh, failed and uh, I think was put to bed by Dodd-Frank. And Dodd-Frank really settled the question, at least for the foreseeable future, about state-based regulation being the system of regulation in the, in the United States. It's a state-based system, but it has national implications uh, and has certain partnerships with the federal government, uh, but not in, in terms of, of uh, regulating the actual business of insurance. So there are those forces that are still there, maybe less so. Mm -hmm. uh, there are those who are quietly still desirous of federal regulation. Uh, they'd like to have a single regulator. My experience with Washington is that it doesn't have a very good track record when it comes to regulation uh, outside of the banking. And then you can raise questions about whether or not that was uh, that uh, uh, adequate uh, during the 2008 uh, financial crisis. The, the insurance industry, by and large, remains solvent. And even AIG is only notionally an insurance issue. It was a holding company issue that, uh, that failed, if you will, because of the Office of Thrift Supervision, a federal agency regulating it. Mm -hmm. If they had regulated the AIG appropriately and not allowed them to engage in all these swaps and all these, uh, these uh, derivatives that were not backed by separate capital, then you wouldn't have had the collapse of AIG. All the insurers were, were solvent. So uh, what, uh, what we've found is that in pushing uh, for state-based regulation, we're, it's really protecting the future, the future of, of consumers, insurers, and the public. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any chance I get you to weigh in on this uh, King versus Burwell Supreme Court uh, thing that's coming up? Not really. I mean, I, I'm like everybody else sitting on the sideline trying to figure out what the court's going to do. I, I interviewed uh, several of those who were on the Supreme Court before they were they were uh, confirmed, uh, and my hope is that they will they will apply the law uh, and not try to engineer outcomes uh, on on the bench. Uh, my my sense is I pointed uh, half the judges in the state of Nebraska, pointed the entire Supreme Court, the entire Court of Appeals may not be good at it, but I have a lot of experience. And I didn't have any kind of litmus test other than I wanted to be sure the judges applied the law. Uh, when you go into, into a courtroom, and I'm a lawyer, when you go into a courtroom, you don't want to have to read the judge's mind to find out the decision. You want to be able to read the law. So my hope is that they will, uh, that they will try to apply the law judiciously, uh, fairly, and uh, even-handedly. Yeah. It's... Um, uh Cybersecurity. Well, it seems like you read the paper practically every Monday morning, and you're going to find somebody who's had some of their technology stolen or broken into. It seems to be a big issue, and I, I know there's some things going on at the NIC where you're talking about that. We've established a, an executive committee task force uh, to work on this. 
uh, internally because we have the world's largest insurance database. When I arrived on the scene, uh, having served on the Armed Services Committee, having gotten all the classified briefings on what's going on in cybersecurity uh, in the military as well as what's happening in, in, uh, in the corporate world, uh, I recognize that we needed to begin to protect as best we could uh, the, uh, the database that we have, not only for uh, the, uh, the very sensitive information, uh, such as Social Security numbers, that's critically important. But in addition to that, to make sure that, that uh, some, some cyber attack didn't come in and destroy access uh, to the world's largest insurance database, which would have uh, considerable ramifications. So we, we began to work on that uh, uh, when I got there. Now what we've done is with the, with the uh, date with the task force is begin to work to find ways to work uh, with the industry to make sure that during examinations and other times that that the insurers are protecting themselves as best they can from cyber attacks. You, what happens is you, you, you can't, you first, the first thing you have to find out is you've got to detect whether you've been attacked. If you can't, if you can't tell whether you've been attacked or not, then there is very little protection you can expect. So, so what we're doing is working with the industry to make sure that, that there is a level of, of comfort that the insurers are doing the very best that they can. Now, in the case of Primera and certainly in Anthem, uh, they, they discovered the attacks. Uh, what, what you always worry about, you know what you know, you're not always sure that you know what you don't know. And yeah. So being able to, to protect against what you can find out is perhaps the best you can do as long as you try to protect from unnecessary cyber attacks. There are thousands every day. Uh, they're, they're, they're noisy. Some of them are very noisy, picked up rather easily. And the fear is that you know which ones you're, you're listening to, how many are getting by you. Oh, yeah. uh, for the Trojan horse, as an example, you have, you have amateurs, you have professionals, and you have state-sponsored cyber, uh, cyberism. And uh, consequently, you have to deal with all of them. Yeah. Seems like uh, we pick up the paper at least in Kansas City. There's been issues on ride sharing with the city council. Uh, also in the state of Kansas, we've had some legislation. On every state's probably dealing with this legislation of ride sharing. Seems like technology is moving ahead of, of insurance, and insurance is trying to catch up on that. Uh, what initiatives is the NEIC coordinating on that? Well, the NEIC's had some hearings on it, and had various different discussions uh, uh, with the states that try to develop some idea of what can be done to make sure that there's adequate insurance, liability insurance, to protect the riders. I mean, uh, you have all kinds of issues about whether or not whether this is an appropriate uh, uh, level of competition, uh, but it doesn't become very appropriate if you don't have adequate liability insurance protecting the rider. Uh, if there's an accident, and there will be accidents, as you know, and you want to make sure that, that the, the riders are, are protected. I uh, see you on the NEIC website you just announced a consumer education initiative with actress Kimberly Williams Paisley. What's that? Uh, what's that? Uh, that theme about? Well, the NEIC for some time has, uh, uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, uh, an effort by uh, former Commissioner Sandy Kruger uh, to to reach out to the consumer, the consuming public, so that they knew they know more about their insurance needs, and, and so that they're, they're not caught uninsured, that they have every opportunity for uh, insurance, uh, 
avail it's available to them, whether it's long-term care, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, life insurance, or whatever it may be. And one of the best ways to do this is with PSAs, public service announcements, and having somebody whose name is recognized or face is recognized, uh, being able to promote. Uh, and usually, it's in a ca case of a life experience of that uh, that uh, person. And in her case, uh, she has a personal story to tell about her, her mother. And uh, I think it's one of the best ways to get the message across. People need to be insured. Uh, they need to know why. And uh, this is one way of helping them understand. Yeah, it's not a decision that they think about every day and then yeah. sometimes put off uh, thinking about. Well, people do put it off because uh, they, if, if, you, if you're not aware of why you need it, uh, sometimes you just don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, our uh, listening audience is uh, focused on uh, producers throughout the country, executives of insurance companies. If you had just a, a minute to, to talk with each insurance producer in the country, what kind of message would you want them to hear from the NASC? One important message, uh, no matter what the federal government wants to do sometimes in, uh, in eliminating uh, agents and commissions or other efforts are underway to try to, to streamline it and make sure that you squeeze out the cost of that, that cost of acquisition that's related to a commission, insurance is still sold rather than bought. And the agent will continue to be a very, a producer will continue to be an important part of the process. By, by reaching out and, and making people aware. You'll have all kinds of ways of helping make people aware, but there's no way to replace uh, the, the knock at the door, the sitting at the kitchen table, the access, the telephone direct uh, uh, response uh, effort to try to help people understand why they need it and what, what levels they need. Uh, very difficult for some people uh, and many people in that regard to know now what I know I need insurance, but how much and why do I need that much? Yes. Agents are the best uh, the best producers for that kind of business. Yeah. yeah. In many communities, the most trusted person, uh, uh, the first person they look to when, uh, when bad news happens. It's uh, Now you've, of course, served as a, as a director of insurance, a governor of Nebraska, a senator from Nebraska. What are some of the rules or personal creeds that you follow and live by? One of the, one of the things that I've found is if you can treat people with respect, uh, that you can you can hope to have uh, their respect for you. Uh, we live in a, in a country today where, uh, unfortunately, some of the talk shows are talk, people talking over one another and not being very very respectful of each other, and not just disrespecting views, but almost disrespecting the other individual. Uh, that doesn't gain as much. Uh, I think what we what we need to do is respect one another, respect for different views. And, uh, and try to find ways to, to support one another, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, or whatever, whatever the, whether it's in your neighborhood. Mutual respect is, uh, is very important, and uh, we, need, we need to make sure that we're, we're engaging in more mutual respect. Now, my hunch is that that's probably advice that maybe it came from your mother uh, at some point. It did, and my father. Uh, they were very respectful of other people and their, their views. Uh, and that... Uh, that, that's something that uh, I tried to pass on to my children. Uh, my See, I noticed uh, uh, doing a little research that you have the airport in McCook, Nebraska, is named in your honor, the uh, Ben Nelson Regional Airport. I was just wondering if you had any special privileges, like do you get a free pass through security or free parking when you go out there? Well, I probably could get the free parking because everybody gets it. But, uh, uh, no, I'm very honored to, that they, the community has chosen to 
really recognize my family. Uh, it's more than, than just me, it's my, my family. Uh, my father was, a, was born and raised in the area. Uh, my mother came there as a very young child at three. Uh, and so consequently, from my standpoint, it, it's, it's home, has been, and uh, will continue to be. Senator, it's been a pleasure visiting with you today. Thank you for joining us, and good luck with your meeting here in uh, Kansas City. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, hi. You're still listening. Well, here at Insurance Radio, we love having personal conversations with the most successful executives and regulators in the financial industry. If you know an individual who you think would be a great guest for our program, you can find our email and phone number at our website, insuranceradio.com.